0: This episode of Revision Path is brought to you by Facebook Design. Facebook Design works on an enormous and diverse range of interesting problems. So I asked Jessica Watson, a product design manager, what's the biggest challenge with designing for Facebook?
1: Yeah, I think the biggest challenge for me is that as a designer at Facebook, there are like hundreds of problems we could be solving any day. So we have to build rigor to be able to focus on what's the most important problems to solve right now. But it's really being able to look at all of the problems you have in front of you and then identify which ones are going to have the most impact.
0: Learn more at Facebook.com forward slash design. Are you looking for a job? Do you know someone who's looking for a job? then check out our job board over at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs. Whether you want a full-time job or you're looking for something temporary or freelance, we've got you covered. This week, Society of Grown Ups is looking for a product designer in Boston and Mapbox is looking for a map designer in San Francisco. We also have job listings from indeed.com. So head to the Revision Path job board at revisionpath.com forward slash jobs to apply and to search for any other listings. Don't forget to sign up for weekly job alerts so when there are new positions added to the job board, you'll get an email so you can be the first to apply. And if you're looking for even more jobs, then become a member of our Slack community and join the jobs channel. See you there. You're listening to the Revision Path Podcast, a weekly showcase of the world's black graphic designers, web designers, and web developers. Through in-depth interviews, you'll learn about their work, their goals, and what inspires them as creative individuals. Here's your host, Maurice Cherry. Welcome to the Revision Path Podcast. My name is Maurice Cherry, and before we get into this week's interview, let's talk about our sponsors, MailChimp and Hover. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. No other email service provider is better when it comes to functionality and customer service. Sign up for a free account today at MailChimp.com. When you have a great idea, you want to secure a great domain name for it. That's where Hover comes in. Hover makes it super easy for you to not only find the domain name that you're looking for, but get it up and running with no hassle and no heavy-handed upselling. So go ahead and grab yourself a domain today and use our promo code REVISIONPATH and save 10% off your purchase. Here's our Patreon fundraising campaign update. So we're up to 39 patrons, that's a new high, for a new total of $258 per month. Again, a big huge thanks to everyone that has already pledged your support and pledged your appreciation for the show. If you enjoy what we're doing here at Revision Path, if you enjoy the guests that we have on the show, or if you've gotten any value from listening, please consider becoming a patron. You'll get some great perks like early access to future episodes and some free Revision Path goodies. So just head on over to Patreon.com forward slash Revision Path and make that happen. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and it's a great and affordable way to support the show on a regular basis. Now let's go to this week's interview. Our legacy theme continues, and this week's guest is Frederick Mitchell, Vice President of Engineering for Better Weekdays. Let's start the show. All right, so tell us who you are and what you do. So my
1: name is Frederick Mitchell. I'm the VP of Engineering at Better Weekdays. We're a startup based in St. Louis that helps students get jobs.
0: So tell me a little bit about, I guess, what your role is within Better Weekdays. You say VP of Engineering, what does that entail?
1: A little bit of everything. So... You know, when you're at a startup, especially a small company, you, as you know, you do a lot of different things. My main job and what I'm accountable for is, does the product work? That's pretty much you know, what my CEO business partner kind of asks me all the time. And so that could be from technically working. Is the server up? Is all the code good? Are there any errors? Are people having issues to product development in general? Um, does the product make sense? What is the data showing what type of user experience research have we done and and, and what's coming out of that.
0: So it sounds like a regular day for you kind of would vary a lot since you have all those different things that you're working on.
1: Yeah, absolutely. A regular day is is more about kind of data analysis and where to start. And then after that, the day is not regular. So (laughs) (laughs) a lot of different things, absolutely.
0: How would you get started with Better Weekdays? Serendipity,
1: actually. So a couple of years ago, um, I was... You know, I had a full-time job. I had a side hustle as well. And, you know, I was kind of keeping both in the air and, and just, you know, keeping the ear to the ground as, as people I think normally do. And I got a random message from a person that I did not know, which I typically ignore because I get a lot of recruiting emails being a developer. And that person was persistent. And as I did my research on that person and just kind of looked at the situation. We ended up having a drink and some dinner and talked about goals and vision and where we were. And eventually I just kind of jumped out there.
0: And you say better weekdays in St. Louis. So you're kind of commuting back and forth between there and Chicago.
1: Yeah. So, you know, you go where the money is. And so, you know, even though we, are, we started in, in Chicago and uh, tried to start in 1871 um, and made some good networks there, it was hard to, you know, raise some money. Chicago is kind of a hard bracket to to break into unless you win a bunch of competitions or, you know, a bunch of people. And, you know, we were at a point where we were trying to basically leverage, you know, all the opportunities that we had. And it just so happens that um, the state of Missouri and specifically St. Louis has been trying really, really hard to cultivate a startup scene. And the cost of living is like 40 percent of what Chicago is. So um it just made sense from a from a business perspective to pursue that. Absolutely. I'm I went to school in St. Louis, so it's not like it's a huge thing for me. So
0: Okay. All right. Where do you kind of see better weekdays going from now? I know you say that the the service helps people get jobs, and of course getting jobs is super important right now in this economy. Where do you see it going in the future?
1: So, you know, where we see it going is basically using data to democratize the hiring process. So, you know, we're we're a minority founded startup. You know, I'm one of the partners. My my founder, both founders, I should say, the two co-founders are both minority, uh one's a black dude and another guy's an Indian guy. And uh, you know, it's it's kind of built into our DNA, given our backgrounds, to to really think about, you know, how do people get jobs and how does that work? And so when you think about the process of working with schools, when you actually go to a school, whether it's a traditional university, a HBCU a for-profit, a two-year, you know, public university, what have you, and think about that process, there's a lot of steps to that point. Mm -hmm. So we really see just kind of understanding what those steps are, looking at the data in those steps, you know, finding those gaps and again democratizing access to understanding, you know, where the bottlenecks are. Mm -hmm. And if that reveals, you know, bias, which a lot of research has shown, you know, so be it. And and really kind of partner with folks who Want to attack that because they understand that that is probably costing them business and revenue and and growing as a company. To even from the perspective of you know trying to achieve certain goals in terms of helping out certain neighborhoods, reducing tax taxes and the the liability that comes from impoverished situations. To maybe even those who are trying to be more competitive. You know we work with a lot of different schools and to really for them to kind of understand. You know, how to make that happen. So we see ourselves as, as a, a data company and mm-hmm. a user experience company, first and foremost, for sure.
0: So when you're working with the school, is this sort of like an, a job placement type of thing? Or are you working with alumni? How does that work?
1: So the tagline really is, you know, Better Weekdays makes high-touch career services easy. So if you think about it from that perspective, and you unpack that, the reason why people go to college is to get a job. You know, if you just kind of boil it down, you take on all this debt, you get a graduate degree, you do all these different things because you anticipate a certain type of, you know, career afterwards. And so, you know, when we work with schools and, and we kind of, you know, figure out where they are, it's not so much placing the people in jobs because we don't have the power over that, that that's the employer, the employer kind of is at the end of that supply chain. What we try to do is analyze, okay, what is the process that works, what process isn't working, and what are best practices? And based on those metrics and based on, you know, where you are, you as a school and you as an institution, you know, where are you along, you know, those processes? So just kind of understanding the data Making the user experience great because, you know, engaging students in college who are already stressed out about finals and a bunch of other stuff is difficult. And then, of course, you know, working with employers to really kind of help them find who they're looking for um, and maybe even help mm-hmm. them find people that they weren't looking for. Because, again, we're trying to democratize the process, just, just really kind of you know, doing that analysis and, and providing the tools necessary for those who can make the decisions and actually connect the two. Um, actually do that. So we see ourselves more as facilitators than we do kind of a recruiting or job placement service.
0: And with that facilitation, are there companies that you're working with, with partnerships as well?
1: Absolutely. So again, you know, one of the uh, advantages of being in a middle market like St. Louis, and even one of our tenants, there's a lot of jobs out there that are from places that, you know, people probably have never heard of the company. But if you knew, What they did, you know, uh, what type of lifestyle that it affords you, I'm sure people will be open to it. Um, Our CEO, for example, used to work at a place called 1888 Mills. And I'm sure Mm -hmm. a lot of people out there have never heard of that. But it's a textile company that actually has factories in Africa. And so when you think about, you know, what you want to do with your life and who you want to impact, if you want to learn about supply chain management, if you want to learn about, you know, uh, working with different economies, learn about how to empower economies on the continent right? Because that's, that's a passion of yours. Who's to say that an opportunity like that wouldn't be aligned to your interest? So we're, we work with a lot of middle market companies. There's a lot of middle market companies in St. Louis that we have really exclusive partnerships with. Some companies you have heard of, you know, like a Monsanto and Anheuser-Busch, et cetera, and other ones you may not necessarily heard of, like a BJC Healthcare, things of that nature. We, we use that as, again, to, um, enhance that understanding of what a job actually is. We want, we we, want, we basically like to tell that story and make it as easy as possible for schools, um, and their career services to tell that story to their students and employers.
0: Now, I know when you and I talked first back in 2013, one of the things that I asked you was, uh, what skills does a web developer kind of need right now? And you said the most important skill is to not be complacent. What skills would you say a web developer needs now in 2016?
1: Man, I was so insightful three years ago. That's a great answer. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm sure all people who are rolling their eyes and listening to this podcast probably want something more specific. So if I were to answer specifically, I would say a web developer needs to, you know, I think Python is one of those things that you can take that and just kind of go anywhere you know, places like Google and, you know, Facebook and Apple, you know, hire Python developers. There's a lot of small startups that, that use Python. And, and Python is such a language that it's easy to kind of get into, you can challenge yourself pretty nicely. It's like on every system, so you don't need a whole bunch of prerequisite to kind of make it work. So if you we were talking about like concrete things that web developers need to kind of know, I think some some sort of understanding of some sort of server side language like Python is important. You know, I'm a PHP guy, and I hear all the boos behind my behind my ear, but um, you know PHP has grown a while, and then of course you know everyone's going to say JavaScript and some some form of JavaScript, whether it's a, a client side framework or whether it's a um, a framework that can go back and forth like a Node or something. But I still hold on to my my answer of you know not being complacent. You know, at some point, you know you hear you read all these stories about you know robots taking people's jobs. And as kind of doomsday as that may sound, I think what's important for people to kind of really think about is what's being implied in that statement. And that just means that as we move on as a society, things that can be automated will be automated. And it's constantly a push to make our lives as easy as possible, right? I mean, there are pro- there may be people listening to you who have no idea what Blockbuster is, but you know, everyone knows what a DVR, on-demand, Netflix, Hulu, Amazon streaming actually is. But, you know, not 15 years ago, Blockbuster was everywhere. But because it's just easier to just, it all be right there and automate browsing of things, browsing of media, that's what happened and a company went out of business. You know, the, the, that, I think that principle is going to, to always exist for every industry, period. And so when you're in the web development industry, a web designer industry, not being complacent and understanding, you know, how to make things easier, understanding how to connect the things that make things easier, even if you're not a programmer, just understanding the different where you can go, you know, exposing yourself to different things. You know, I mean, Maurice, at one point in time, you you know, you did web design, you've done consulting, you, you're now doing podcasting, you do speaking. I mean, it, that type of, you know, drive and hunger to, to keep exploring and, and keep Being uh, flexible, I still think is important for a web developer.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier your side hustle, which I'm assuming you're talking about Bright Plum when you talk about that, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yep.
0: Now, are you still working with Bright Plum? Are you still doing anything with that?
1: I am. You know, it's one of my passions is user experience. And so, you know, the reason why I keep doing side stuff is because. I like to hear unadulterated kind of beginner's mind assessment of how people understand technology. And so if you're constantly, even if it's, you know, a little couple hundred dollar stuff there, you know, whatever that is, it's really interesting to hear how quickly some people move things, you know, like I can talk to some folks and, they're asking about you know cryptography and blockchain and stuff on you know digital currency, and then I'll talk to someone else who's like, "Can you help me build a website?" And mm-hmm. they're a successful business owner, but they have no perspective on a website and so just I think having a beginner's mind is just crucial to constantly being sharp in your craft, and so the side hustle provides an avenue to constantly keep that ear to the ground of just what are the words that people use when they describe the basics? Facebook has become almost a verb, just like Google is a verb now. People actually know what WordPress is. Um, they don't know what Drupal is. They may or may not have heard of Joomla. <laughs> but if you say, you know, I want a WordPress site, they're not thinking like actual WordPress. They're thinking, I want something that I want to be able to control where I don't have to know HTML. Like That, that is what WordPress has become in the lexicon of customers. And just knowing that, Right, allows you to ask different questions. Well, when you say, "Okay, I want a WordPress site," it's like, "How much time do you plan to spend per week updating your site?" Well, I probably won't update it, you know, more than once or twice a year. It's like, "Okay, you probably don't need a WordPress site, right?" Like, you can just send me an email and I'll update it for you. It's not a big deal. But that habit of asking the proper question, um, again, from a user experience perspective, and and again, this is one of my big passions, especially since I'm responsible for developing a product that works. Always asking questions and understanding the goal is important more important than implementation so uh, that side hustle provides again like i said that ear to the ground to to, to making sure I'm, I'm constantly doing
0: that how do you juggle both of those the full-time job and the side hustle
1: um time management you know you know i basically say i'm not gonna take anything that's more than this amount of time i do it on the weekends and the evening etc you know it's proper time management you know i have a family i have little kids you know i got a wife and you know i got a a dog and I got, you know, stuff I need to take care of on my own. And so everything's time management. You know, I have like five or six Google calendars <laughs> that are all kind of, you know, always there. And so, you know, just, just regular kind of time management and this, this can or cannot happen. And, you know, you just do it that way.
0: Now, I know that we've got a lot of people listening who may want to start with speaking at conferences. I know you speak at a bunch of conferences around the country, I'd say maybe even around the world, because you have spoken internationally as well what advice would you give to them to people that want to start out in the speaking circuit it's an
1: interesting question i guess kind of maybe two points one you know do it for yourself i think people get wrapped up in the definition of success of a successful speaker and they'll probably use number of times you spoke or number of people that show up to where you spoke or the type of place you speak at as like some sort of measurement. And so i say the first thing is kind of do it for you. If If there's a topic you want to talk about, if there's a topic you want to get feedback on and you want to use speaking as a means to test some theories or test some waters, if you want to say something and you just want to be heard, you know, do it for you. I think after a while you'll decide if you want to keep doing that in other places and you want other people to hear what you have to say and get their feedback or you decide, you know what, I, I did what I wanted to do and I moved on and I feel like this was successful. Um, that's my first kind of piece of advice. I think the second thing is to to record yourself. Uh, if, if you go into more of a concrete example, I, I listen to myself a lot when I'm eating lunch or just kind of thinking about a problem. I listen to past things that I've done and I try my best to, again, go back to that point I was saying before, beginner's mind and really check, you know, how is my cadence? Did I say and or um a lot? Did I pause? As you can probably tell, I'm, I'm very verbose. So I need to work on shortening my ideas and not chaining together four, five, six, seven ideas at, at multiple times. So I think watching yourself and listening to yourself, even if you haven't, if you've spoken for the first time, you know, record yourself record yourself on, on YouTube, look at your body language, that'd be the other kind of concrete piece I would give out.
0: Now, you've worked at a lot of different studios and companies over the years. I know you worked at Orbit, you worked at Phase 2, now you're at Better Weekdays, which is a startup. In all these companies, you've kind of worked in a managerial position. You know, you've been overseeing other developers, stuff like that. How have you seen project management kind of change over the years as the industry has changed? Do you think there's been a shift towards a different model? That's a good question. You know,
1: I I don't know if I'm qualified to answer that. Because I have a technical background, all of the circumstances I've been put in when teams talk about project management has always been from a technical perspective. So when I think about where things have gone, it always feels like the desire is for the project manager to, to have a technical acuity. Because it seems like there's always this gap between what are the expectations being set by a customer or a client, what are the expectations of how long something will be, will be done by a developer, and what is the gap? How do we manage that gap? So whether mm-hmm. you're doing Agile to you know, Waterfall to you're using Kanban boards to you know, sprint planning, all this other stuff, there's always a gap. There's always like, oh, I didn't know this or oh, I didn't know, know that. And I know different ways try to try to address that gap. But it always seems like constantly pushing a project manager to, to have some sort of technical acuity because you basically are looking for that person to either provide some sort of feedback immediately to a customer or a client or a salesperson that says, oh, you know, this is the expectation we should set before they run and go talk to a developer, and you always want to go back to the developer as soon as the developer talks to you about what's necessary, and you can give them that immediate feedback of like, oh, you know, what you're talking about is too big of a scope, let's keep it smaller, oh, okay, you know, (laughs) this is the impact of whatever it is. And I just think that pressure to be a TPM, a technical project manager, I I, I don't know, I don't know if that's good or bad. Like I said, I'm technical, I've seen both sides, it feels like a double-edged sword on one hand, you talk to developers, and they love it. They love the fact that their that their tickets or their tasks or the meetings are very efficient because how things are explained are in a kind of a, in a bulleted, technical implementation fashion. On the other hand, the TPM now becomes responsible for how the things should work together, which should be the developer's mm-hmm. responsibility. <laughs> the same is true for on the other side. You know, customers love it when they feel like you're talking to someone who's a domain expert, and you can kind of give them horror stories and, and success stories of technical limitations to kind of help them limit their scope and, and provide ammo to talk internally to get internal buy-in. But on the other side, you know, meetings go long or they tune out or, you know, sales gives you the side eye because it's like, you know, we haven't even closed a sale yet and you're already talking about what can and can't be done. So I just feel like there's, there's more and more pressure towards TPMs. And the thing is, even if you're not technically savvy on the thing you're talking about, the tools that are out there are becoming so complex now. You still have to be technically savvy. I'm a Jira guy, and if if anyone has ever used Jira, you know there's an infinite number of buttons and and, and settings and configurations and stuff. So,
0: what's the biggest compromise that you feel you've had to make in order for your career to be where you are today?
1: Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, it's a great question. I'm just trying to think. There's been a lot. I'm trying to think that you, you asked biggest. So I think the biggest compromise that I've had to make is realizing that the existence of something is not as important as the perception of its existence.
0: Okay. Un- unpack that a little bit first.
1: Absolutely. So again, as an engineer, as a technical person, a person says, I want this problem solved. You build something that solves the problem and you're like, I did it. Mm-hmm. It's existent, like the thing exists to solve your problem. And what I've had to learn from a compromise perspective is that's not what's most important. It's the perception of the solution existing that's more important than the actual solution existing itself. And so when it comes to having conversations, when it comes to collaborating as a team, when it comes to getting buy-in from bosses or other executive leadership, I've had to compromise my technical understanding of how it's going to work to spend more time understanding the perception of all the different players and how they understand something will work. Because it doesn't even matter if my solution, my team's solution, an idea that I had, how I posed the idea, The fact that it's research backed, the fact that Apple does it or Google does it or whatever. And I don't mean by a little bit, I mean by a lot. That is secondary to the perception of executive buy in, customer buy in, you know, team buy in of what they think, you know, what we're talking about will actually solve the problem. Just that psychological gymnastics has, you know, I've had to carve out more brain energy for that versus actual kind of technical understanding. And I think that's a lot of reason why developers don't like managing people. They don't like talking to customers. They just want to kind of be absorbed into the new fancy way of doing something. Um, But no one cares how Google's algorithm works. They just want to know, did I get what I wanted to get? You know, and that's it. And if someone else did it better, that's where they're going to go. They just want to know if it works.
0: Yeah. What kind of keeps you motivated and inspired with a lot of the work that you do?
1: So it's, it's funny. So it's what I just said, right? So what keeps me motivated is, to me, the way I've dealt with this compromise, which is just a, a thing that I've had to do because of just the way m- my vertical brain kind of works of like, you know, shopping list type of way of thinking of things, is I've taken this challenge of perception and turned it into – an engineering problem. Like I okay. have, I, I am motivated by trying to solve, there is a certain way to talk to people. There is a certain patience. There is a certain timing. There is a certain set of phrases that you can use to solve this problem and get to where you want to go faster, right? That's what the engineers want. They always want the most efficient and at least cost way to get the highest amount of value. So what keeps me motivated is this very, very difficult problem of perception to me, is still just an engineering problem, just in a different way. And if I attack it that way, and if I really humble myself to listen to what's worked, to read, to observe, to fail, to to learn, ask more questions, then um, I'll learn something. And and that's the the possibility of learning something has constantly kept me motivated for sure.
0: Now, you mentioned earlier you went to the Washington University in St. Louis. Yep. What was your time like there? It was great.
1: You know, a bunch of overachievers. <laughs> so, you know, but it, it was cool. You know, I, I pick Wash U because I had a lot of different interests. Um, I like to play sports. I want to do radio. I want to do a TV show. I wanted to join other organizations. And it was big enough where I could do that. They had all these different stuff you could do, but it was small enough where I didn't feel like I was competing against like people who were experts and were doing this all their life. Um. Even the people who did do that, you know, I they weren't. You know, it wasn't like it was a tryout every single time. So it was great. I loved it.
0: Now I heard that you managed a DJ business while you were in school. Is that right? <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, that was many, many moons ago. But yes, that was my first kind of official business, and it was fun. That was the first time I actually got into web development too. So
0: talk about it. Talk about it. You
1: know, it was just one of those things where tried to marry two passions, right? I love music and, and like getting paid. So can I, can I make this a thing? Another (laughs) engineering problem that I tried to solve. And it was fun, you know, we drove around and did a lot of parties. I learned a lot of different kinds of music. You know, we had a lot of friends. My business partner at the time is Asian. So we had a really big, diverse set of friends. So Mm -hmm. it was interesting kind of making sure, and this is back in the day, giving giving my age away, but this back in the day, we're like, Napster had, had just kind of come on board, so you didn't really have the plethora of of MP3s and stuff like that. So we had like, you know, you had the giant cases of CDs that you would kind of cart around.
0: Oh know? yeah, those big case logic folios. Absolutely.
1: So you had, like, yeah. you had like 12 of those and you were constantly burning and copying and borrowing stuff from people. And it'd always be interesting because, you know, you'd have to depending upon the type of party you would do, again, it's customer success, right? Customer service. You know, if you're going to a party, if you're going to DJ a party for a primarily kind of, you know, folks of Indian descent, they're going to want a bunch of Diwali music. They're going to want some hip hop. They're going to want, you know, kind of basic pop, that kind of stuff. They're probably going to want some house, trance, techno, but not so much. And so, kind of making sure we had the right Diwali music, the right, you know, Bungra music, the right, you know, all that different types of stuff, that was fun. And then, if, you know, we went to, if I DJed, you know, a sorority party, that you know, was kind of a majority sorority party. You know, they're probably going to be, you know, top fifty hits the entire night. So bringing like the, <laughs> the <bunk> run the <laughs> diwali probably wasn't. What's up? But you know, it it was cool, just kind of learning that aspect, and and um, yeah, it was it was cool. It was a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I could I could see that being really super popular in college with all those. You know, different parties and stuff going on. What ended up happening? It just sort of dissolved as you all
1: went yeah, you school. all grow it. I mean, you know, I think I, we we kept it for maybe a year afterwards. But I mean, after at least for me, after going back and DJing a college party after you graduate college, it's like okay, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> like I have a job, and you know, I'm done with this. Four years was enough. I'm good, you know. So yeah, just kind of you know petered out and it was fun though
0: well speaking of that are you working on any personal projects now
1: no man I mean you know this business you're just you know we're, we're constantly trying to get this thing off the ground and it's, it takes all my time I'm, I'm sure my wife could attest to that and right now I'm just trying the only personal stuff that I try to do is just try to stay active and, and get out you know out in front of the computer play with my kids go outside garden play golf go-kart racing all that other stuff just just try to get out in front of the computer you know, the side hustle stuff still helps kind of do small little personal projects. But again, those are just kind of things that people just want to talk about. But no, this, this business thing and, 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 you know, keeping Better Weekdays going, you know, it takes up probably more, more time than, than I thought it would. But it's been great. I can definitely say that if you're thinking about it and you're trying to jump out there, as Maurice can probably attest, deciding to leave <laughs> is probably the easiest thing of the entire journey. Yes. it definitely feels like you know if you're on the other side and you have a full-time job you know you're like oh my god how am i gonna do it how's it gonna work blah, blah blah and that feels like oh my god this is like the biggest decision i'm gonna make in my life and i can definitively tell you that once you made that decision that is probably the easiest of all the decisions <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. once you actually jump
0: so very just... <laughs> true very very true who have been some of your mentors who are some of the people that have inspired you my dad,
1: to be quite honest, you know, he started his business. He's a he's an attorney. He started his business the day I left for college. So that 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 story has always been interesting to me, because he basically was going to help pay help me pay for college, and then he left his full time job as well. Wow! And from a from a healthcare perspective, a money perspective, he had enough faith in himself that he was like, "This is the right move." And yeah, he's been going ever since. That's that's a definitely a big inspiration, you know, for for me and keep my mentors and stuff, uh, I keep it a small group. You know, my wife is a big inspiration for me as well. You know, she she does so many things. She's so level-headed. It's, it's just really cool to see. She's also an attorney, but she's also a professional photographer. She knows tech as well. She's done websites. She just does so many different things. That's just an inspiration to kind of, you know, keep things in perspective and to keep it
0: going. So do you think you two will work on anything together in the future, like as husband and wife as well as as business partners? <laughs>
1: Probably not you know, when, you're, <laughs> when you live with someone and you're, you know you're a partner of someone, you kind of know them pretty intimately and you know the things that we're passionate about things that we love, you know I think we just like being proud of each other and, and give each other you know that little nudges and, and points of, of ideas when necessary. But in yeah. terms of like collaborations and stuff, I mean we have you know two kids and so that's a, that's a pretty pretty awesome collaboration that we've done at, at that point in <laughs> raising them. In terms of, like, business stuff, you know, it's already stressful enough. As I said before, just kind of keeping it going. I think, you know, we, we have a really great relationship, and I, and I love the fact that we share just enough to be proud of each other and then, you know, just kind of have our own really kind of awesome independent paths as necessary. But, but we definitely help each other out a lot if there's some cross-pollination there, so.
0: Do your kids want to grow up in your footsteps? <laughs>
1: I have no idea. My kids are eight and five, so okay. well, they will be eight and five. My son's birthday is, I'm
0: going to say, and my daughter's birthday is
1: next Saturday. But they're too young. I mean, I think they, they're just having fun. You know, I, I feel like they're just blessed to grow up in a world where, like, an iPad always existed. You know, like, on-demand entertainment mm-hmm. is something they've never not known. <laughs> so them thinking beyond, like, what they want to do, I think, is uh, a little bit of a stretch at this point. But no, my son is a computer guy. He's a computer head. You know, he loves computers, so I can see definitely that there's some stuff there. My daughter, you know, she loves the creative side. Like I said before, she loves music, and so we, you know, we do the music stuff. She loves drawing, and you know, she gets the creative stuff from you know her mom. As I said, you know, my wife you know, is a professional photographer, and I try to be creative every now and then. So I think they've gotten from from what I, if I had to project, you know, I could definitely see them probably starting their own businesses and kind of creatively carving their own path. So.
0: And you'd help them out, of course, with that, you and you and your wife.
1: Oh, absolutely. It's, you know, it's, it's, you've got to nurture. It's always been right. nurturing. You know, we have artwork displayed everywhere in the house. We have pictures displayed everywhere in the house. We have Lego creations displayed everywhere. You know, we, we do Minecraft. We do all that stuff. It's, it's um, you know, you want to, creativity is one of the most important aspects and traits kids can have. You never, never want to stifle that, so.
0: Were you creative as a kid?
1: I think so. It's funny you say that. I, I, I would say, yeah. I mean, I remember inventing a lot of stuff and, you know, thinking I had all these really cool things to do. It was a little bit different. You know, my dad's a Marine, so some stuff it was like I was creative, but it was always within guardrails. And I, I definitely think he encouraged the creativeness that he felt would be fruitful at the end of the day. So, like, I think in the, in the small cases where I showed acuity towards art or what have you, I wouldn't say it was discouraged. It just wasn't as encouraged as highly as other things. So, you know, I played an instrument when I was younger. So there's some creativity in that, especially, you know, with jazz and stuff like that. But it was more like be creative in designing a better mousetrap. Because <laughs> people always pay for that. Uh, right.
0: That kind of thing. What are you excited about at the moment? Anything in particular?
1: You know, I, I am excited about just the democratization to... Building kind of on-demand services and products one that comes to mind just jumps out as an example is bevel a a grooming product from Tristan walker Mm -hmm. Targeted towards uh, men of color And you know that it's the subscription model and you know you you get stuff sent to you and and just the whole marketing and branding stuff and so when I look at and see you know You know folks like yourself getting the word out and and telling a different story in a different medium to you know the popular blogs that are out there you know, very smart brothers to all the ones that have been out there for a while to even folks kind of starting companies and do different things related to black culture and black genius. It's, it's, I'm really excited about the fact that the ability to do those things and, and the, the barrier to entry is, if I feel like is slowly kind of coming down and, and mm-hmm. that just makes me excited to see what's really going to come out of this. Right. I mean, I listen to a lot of music. I listen to a lot of mixtapes. And so discovering cats who don't have deals, um, I remember a long time ago, and no one's going to believe me, but I remember a long time ago, before Drake was Drake, when he first had his first mixtape, I, I happened to stumble upon him. And it was just really cool to just kind of see the spins as you know he got more and more attention. and And, and the same was true for Logic, when Logic first had his tape out before he had a deal. Just the fact that those kind of tools... Pro Tools I think is online now like there's like a web there's like a free web version of Pro Tools at this point. The fact that, you know, our community could go to a library, could go to a community center, could you could open, you know can get an iPad, can get a computer for less than $1000 and literally change their lives if they just put the work ethic in and put the hustle in. To me that's exciting because I just feel like there's just so much untapped genius within our community that just need just needs to be broadcasted and it needs to be shown and shared with everyone.
0: Oh, man, I totally, totally understand where you're coming from, particularly, you know, that whole showcasing of culture, I guess, you know, to kind of put it that way, because if we're not the ones that are telling our own stories, then who will? And the technology makes it so easy now that it's almost a no brainer.
1: Absolutely. And, you know, and and and, you know, the big the big kind of stranglehold that has existed is the distribution model. You know, the fact that you can't get a deal because Universal owns all the distribution. You can't get your stuff out there because certain art houses you know or certain print shops on all distribution you know i just think it's really cool that you know apps like an instagram apps like a whatsapp and 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 a a snapchat stuff like that allow you essentially to create to cultivate your own audience and then therefore leverage your own distribution channels based off of persistency hard work and, and work ethic and it's always been there you know it's always been there it's you know the myth has always been that somehow the work ethic isn't there, but that that's never been the case. It's always right. been there. You know, it's just who owns a distribution and who can tell the story, like you said. And so the fact that anyone, you know, as they just kind of make it a habit to kind of showcase their genius from whether it's making jewelry to, you know, building sites, to building apps, to podcasting, to developing blogs and being a pulse on culture to fashion to intellectual debate, to all those different things. I'm just super, super excited about just, just to see what happens. I just know there's just going to be so much stuff that I haven't been exposed to. I don't think our, our mainstream kind of culture has been exposed to. And, and it's just, it's just going to be so cool that, you know, the group that defines that is going to be able to own that message. A very small and, and, and kind of silly example are memes, right? When you see, like, a new dance come out, or when you see like a new saying come out and, and just like what all, all people are using, you know, on Twitter or what have you, you know, it's really easy to trace back and see who, who started that, right? Who started on fleek? Yeah. Who started, you know, the running man challenge? Did, you know, and, it, and inevitably, <laughs> inevitably, it's some, you know, creative, you know, young black kid who just like was, was just basically connected disparate ideas, you know, made it dope and then it just kind of distributed on its own. And so I think that being able to attribute that, I think that significance of being able to get proper attribution, Mm -hmm. you know, even if it's just, you know, a shout out, even if it's just retweets, even if it's in the form of digital currency, uh, followers and stuff to, to the point of like, where they actually get on the Ellen's generous show and get like some sort of, you know, scholarship check or whatever. I still think that the example of seeing, you know, things attributed to their original kind of genius creator is a positive message that will have repercussions to those who are who are just watching especially young folks so
0: how would you say your friends would describe you
1: (laughs) (laughs) my friends probably describe me as very talkative very opinionated and probably you know a bit you know overthinker. i i I take things and and think about them really really deeply and you know sometimes it's just kind of simple stuff and I, i can never be simple there's always a hidden meaning to everything
0: <laughs> Just to kind of wrap things up here, a couple more questions. Sure. Where, where do you kind of see yourself in the next few years? I know, you know, when I interviewed you in 2013 and asked you that, you were still working for Orbit. But, you know, in the near future, what do you see yourself uh, doing? What do you see yourself doing?
1: In the next few years, I, you know, I, I pray that, you know, Better Weekdays is doing really well and that, you know, we're able to sustain a nonprofit arm of what we're doing and that we're, you know, we're in a lot of schools. And again, you know, uh, leveling the playing field of, you know, how people actually discover jobs and how they get their next opportunity. Um, I hope that I'm a really integral part of that. And I hope I hope I can get back into the speaking circuit. I really want to be able to talk about the successes of what we've done and why it's important for people to take, you know, a data-driven approach to understanding problems and a user-centered design approach to understanding problems. So, that's where I'm hoping I'll be, you know, in a few years, really kind of evangelizing the process and and kind of, you know, having data to prove that it worked and and, and things are working out for sure.
0: All right. So just again, to wrap things up, where can our audience find out more about you and about your work online?
1: Sure. So, I mean, the easiest thing is if You just want to see what I'm up to. Um, I have a very unique spelling to my first name. So if you actually just Google Frederick Mitchell and and the first name is F-R-E-D-R-I-C. So there's no K and there's only one E. Usually that brings up all the stuff that I'm kind of connected to, whether it's Twitter or speaking or, you know, side hustles or regular stuff if you want to more, learn about more about better weekdays and if you know if you work at a school or if you have connections to alumni at school and and want to kind of see what we're about you know check out betterweekdays.com yeah i think those two things are, are probably going to cover pretty much all the bases so
0: sounds good man well frederick mitchell thank you for taking time out to come on the show you know you've been a supporter of revision path from the very very early days and so it was good to kind of catch up See what you're doing now with with Better Weekdays. I really like that you have a lot of really thoughtful things to say as it relates to how to get started in the industry, how to kind of stay in the industry, how to build business, things of that nature. Really, really great information overall to share. So thank you again so much. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, man. I appreciate having the platform. And, yeah, keep grinding. You know, I'm always going to be here for you, so it's all
0: good. Thoughts of love. That's it for this week. Big thanks to Frederick Mitchell, and thanks to you for listening. You can find out more about Frederick and his work through the links in the show notes at revisionpath.com. Thanks, of course, as always, to our sponsors, Facebook Design, MailChimp, and Hover. Facebook invests in design, and they care deeply about how their design team might do their best work. That manifests itself in a number of different ways, such as building tools like origami, sharing what they've learned on Medium, and by giving back to the design community. Learn more about Facebook design at facebook.com forward slash design. More than 10 million businesses around the world use MailChimp to send email newsletters. Their attitude may be playful, but their business is serious. Sign up for a free account today. MailChimp. Send better email. Hover takes all the hassle and confusion out of buying domain names. Search for a few keywords and Hover will show you the best available options across all the 400 plus domain extensions out there. Ready to get started? Save 10% off your first purchase by using the promo code REVISIONPATH at checkout. This episode was edited by RJ Basilio and produced by me, Maurice Cherry. Our intro is by Music Man Dre with intro and outro audio by Yellow Speaker. If you like this episode, please do me a huge favor. Leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. It only takes a minute or two and it really does help bump the show up in the iTunes rankings for design podcasts. Revision Path is brought to you by LUNCH, a multidisciplinary creative studio in Atlanta, Georgia. If you like the work we're doing with the podcast and with the website, then visit us over at Patreon and become a patron. Just go to patreon.com forward slash and pledge your support. Pledge levels start at just $1 per month and you'll get access to behind the scenes information about the show, upcoming interviews, and so much more. Thanks so much for listening and we'll see you next time.